Hello, welcome to Stand Up Speak Out UK, a relative new new uh, podcast in which we're looking at many different areas such as homelessness, housing, benefits, of course, the political system touches all of them. There's many other areas in the future. I'm going to have a young lady come and talk about knife crime. There's nothing that we can't touch in this podcast. Today, it's how do you prevent homelessness? And to help me talk about this is Mr. Andrew Ashley. Thank you very much for coming, Andrew. Thank you, Ian. Where do you want to start? Well, why don't you say a point? I'll be acting more as, ladies and gentlemen, devil's advocate. So the questions that I would ask. But please go ahead. Prevention. Think about what prevention means in so many areas of our lives. We realise that something has gone badly, which if we'd actually thought about it, you know, the simple thing of, making sure you you keep the maintenance up on your um, kitchen equipment for example and just because you've not got around to it or you've forgotten or couldn't be bothered it goes wrong and usually at the right wrong moment and it causes a disaster that's on a small scale that we're probably familiar with at home this is something that's affecting tens of thousands of people every year and that is the prevention the things that we could do as a nation to stop people falling into homelessness and the suffering that people go through, uh, their friends, their families, and, of course, the individuals who were swept into homelessness. And um, I want to give you an example, actually, around mental health. Certainly. I had a breakdown, well, we're now back in 2014. It was pretty serious. I was unable to, I knew I needed to communicate. I knew things had gone wrong, but I just couldn't couldn't do the simple thing of picking up a phone or knocking on a neighbor's door. And anyway, um, after a bit, it may have been because of neighbors uh, kindly intervening, but I found myself being uh, visited three times a day by a team of two uh, from the local emergency mental health team. And they got me uh, out for an assessment. And it was a very detailed assessment over a period of several weeks. And at the end of it, um, the gentleman who I'd been seeing said that I had long-term traumas and other issues which required long-term help. But they didn't have the budget. After that, everything just fell apart. And just think of that. If they had intervened at that stage, the chances are I would either have not lost my home or been in the process of downsizing so things could become affordable, uh, keeping in employment and therefore being a contributor to the system. Because obviously there are two ways of looking at this. There's a personal suffering, there's a humanity side of it, but there's also the hard economics that we often hear about from politicians. Well, the hard economics said very simply, keep somebody who's got a history of work in work rather than get them to a point where they cannot work because their mental health has gone so far down. 
And that's what I mean by prevention, stepping in on a timely basis to make sure things don't go totally wrong. So you mentioned earlier on about budgets. Would you say it's a financial reason that this prevention is not available? Uh, it's a way, unfortunately, our system has to work. We, I think people, especially on the mental health side, recognise now that there is a massive need in the country for some form of mental health support for our children, uh, certainly uh, many uh, who go to university, uh, they're finding it uh, very much more difficult than perhaps a few generations before did. And then, of course, you've got something that we can all recognise, the cost of living crisis. Just think for a moment, and obviously I hope if you're listening to this and you are in this, I can definitely sympathise with you. Uh, but there's a lot of people don't appreciate the impact of cost of living. You know, that family is doing what the nation expects, what we always hear about hardworking families from various politicians. And then suddenly the numbers do not stack up. It's not the question that they're not trying. It's a question simply that money coming in and money going out, there's a massive deficit, and that leads to their lives crashing. And then just imagine if you're in that position and you've been the breadwinner and all you've tried, all you've done is not working. And suddenly the family is pulled apart and you're on the street. Just imagine that going through your mind again and again and again. What could I have done differently? And people are saying things like, oh, failure, you should have tried harder. And you're hearing politicians saying, well, I, I can survive on 35p a day, uh, which I can't. And those are some of the things where people are driven to desperation. Uh, that in itself will generate all sorts of things like trauma uh, and a whole bunch of medical issues around mental health. And ob obviously, on top of that, often physical health, because... If you can't feed yourself properly, if you're living in damp and uh, mouldy conditions, if you're, you haven't got proper heating, all these things make what was bad far, far worse. And I think that's one of the things we as a nation need to think about. If we can start earlier, and let, let's take, and this is a, another tragic example, you get a, a young baby born to completely chaotic parents. The baby's appeared in this world, and there's no way that the parents can look after it. The father may well have disappeared off somewhere, may not even be really known who the father was. And the mother is in such a bad condition that she needs more help. And so the child goes into some sort of care. Now, there is very good care in some parts of the country, and there's some excellent stories about children growing up in very, very difficult conditions and going on to do well. But just as there are people who've done well, there are many children who have suffered terribly with the system. Their education is very poor or non-existent. And sadly, uh, there is abuse, uh, physical and sexual abuse of um, young children. And for those, their lives effectively 
when that baby was born. And I'm going to say something that will perhaps hurt people, but it's deliberately said to try and make us as a nation wake up. That child was thrown on the bin the moment it was born because the system, the nation standing there in place of parents who had failed, either for their own inabilities, uh, which may be justifiable, or just because they don't care. But that child has an absolute right for a decent life and to be given every opportunity, and our country fails. And for those, uh, they're born into a, a life of desperation and, and uh, privation, which I had no right to be. You know, if I'm 40 or 60 and I do stupid things and I end up, that's mainly my fault. It might be totally my fault, depending on the circumstances. But if you look at a young baby, it has no decisions in this. This is what we're putting them into. So when we look at prevention with things like, and this is, as I say, is one of the starkest, most obvious examples, young uh, children, if we can make that system work better for them, fewer will fall out, most will get through, and we can look at it in two ways. Let's, for the moment, look at the way I do, which is the humanity of it all. Are we as a society so incapable of caring and doing the right thing? Do we not have any empathy and understanding? But if we want to fall on the other side and look at it from a financial perspective, that economic unit, yes, we were talking about babies and we're looking now at economic units. But if we're being that harsh and that humane, lack of humanity is there, isn't it better to get that unit of uh, economic generation working properly? It doesn't make sense to do this, but we are doing it as a nation. We're letting people who could be productive fail. And then on top of that, we're desperately paying money out to try and help them. So it's actually in the long term, and it's not a, a short-term uh, solution, in the long term, getting this right, supporting people right from day one into good futures is not only a sign of our humanity, it makes economic sense. There's... um. You made me think when you said about the babies, I was really shocked, but it is true what you said. One of um, one of Freud's fellow workers, a woman called Melanie Klein, stated this fact, and I think it is true. Um, is that give me a babe, give me a child, to the age of four, I will model their basic behaviour for the rest of their lives. A friend of mine would call it injication. That's what he's termed for it for. And I think a lot of people are. Which, what would you think about that statement I just made from your point of view? Well, I'm, I'm not a, a person who studied this sort of thing, but we know that our formative years for every child and the better those years are, the better they are likely to be 
going forward. They're going to be more balanced, more able to fit in with society, not to have um, all sorts of, let's put them in inverted commas, hang-ups. Mm. So, um, yes, it makes tremendous sense. Uh, go on. talked about the people who worked with you. Now, you are, like myself, return lived experience people. Uh, my story is I had a breakdown. That's how I ended up on the street. Um, would you say the workers that worked with you understood your situation? Well, that's an interesting one because it, it, it always comes down to the uh, frontline people, um, whether it's in charities like, for example, some mongers who, who looked after me and indeed crisis to a lesser extent, um, or whether it's um, people from the, the local benefits office or the uh, our interaction with the health service. Uh, it's not always easy um, for people to understand. I think there's a lot of genuine um, care, uh, sympathy and... Yeah, real empathy, I think, for what's going on in people's lives and a desire to move people forward. But we've also got to realise that the people working in those conditions often work very long hours. They are very stressed by the nature of the work they do because they they see suffering. That impacts on somebody. You know, if you go into these, especially the, the charity front line and, and the hospitals, People do that in part because they care about their fellow human beings and that humanity uh, keeps taking a, a dent every time they see difficult situations, especially when they've done their best and unfortunately things fall through, which for those working with people suffering from alcoholism and uh, drug addictions or related <coughs> pardon me, addictions, <coughs> they can often see lives being remorselessly destroyed by the illness that these people have. Uh, so, yes, I think uh, getting that interface right, uh, helping the... Because let's just step back a bit. When you've been on, on the street for some time, um, and especially if your health is bad, mental, physical, uh, you're not in the best condition to help yourself. You're often in a position where it takes time, which is one of the reasons why we have this um, program of housing first, because it is definitely the case that if you can get people stabilised and then start to build the support around them, it's much easier than trying to work with people um, who are still in a sleeping bag. If they're lucky, they might not have one. And... Uh, so, yes, I think that interface is it's important. Um, we should certainly work with them. And that's one of the things that uh, Ian and I do, th thanks to uh, an, uh, an excellent uh, charity expert link, where we are given the opportunity to talk to some of the people who can make a difference and explain to them what's working well, because, hey, if something's working well, you want everybody to be... Uh, ad adopting it and occasionally things don't 
work so well, as we all know. But gaining understanding of what the issues are and how they can be treated and dealt with, that is a you know, definite uh, step forward. I should say that what myself Andrew is referring to is we speak to the, the Ministry of Housing or Uplift and the Housing and the DWP about how they interact with homeless people. And Andrew is, I'm quite admire Andrew actually when he talks. I'm by myself when I talk, but I talk too much. <laughs> Andrew, you're talking more about your own situation. Would you say the same solution or the preventative method, methods and you mentioned people are alcoholics or drug users can be used? Is there one uniform plaster that could be put on these people? to help them the, uh, there was perhaps a uniform principle but not a uniform solution because um we're all individuals mm. all in our individual place uh and this is where the best intentions of the system and the people who come up with it and work in it um can often come unstuck is that you it's not like a car factory where uh, we now have automated machines that know exactly what to do every split second of the working day. Uh, because people aren't like that. Uh, it doesn't matter what state of the world we're living in and our own personal conditions, uh, people are people. That's, that's something that's got to be built in. But there are definitely principles that can be looked at. Uh, you know, I mentioned one of the... Um, the cruelest things that we, we face as a nation, how to help the youngest. But prevention can be there right the way through people's lives. Uh, and looking at, and this I think is, is, is such an important thing. We're seeing across the nation, as I mentioned before, post-COVID uh, lockdown and um, uh, children actually suffering even bigger problems of adapting in their classrooms. Uh, as well as uh, adults trying to um, to cope with, as we've mentioned, the cost of living and so on. There's plenty of opportunity for a system to intervene early before things get out of control. Sometimes it's a simple problem that we, when we're in that problem, in that situation, face. Uh, it came up on a, a a call that we were on yesterday that, more than one of us testifying about our own experiences said the same thing. I, I didn't know how to approach, for example, a job centre, or I felt awkward because I still had enough money left to get through the next week or two before I went and asked about the benefits. There's a lot of things that we, as human beings, actually get in the way of ourselves rather than going out and saying, I've got a problem, please help me. And so that prevention is in part ourselves. And it's, it's one reason why talking like this, hopefully there will be people listening who say, I've got a problem at the moment and I just, I just can't face up to it. I don't want to, I feel so embarrassed going and asking for help. I mean, I can assure you, I've felt absolutely awful um, asking for help. Helping others, fine, but asking for it for myself, no, that was, I'd let myself down too much. 
you know, there was no excuse in me that was good enough. Um, so I think that's one thing we can all try and do is recognise that there will be times that actually asking for help earlier rather than waiting till everything comes apart is good. But we need to make sure that help is there, that it's easily accessible. Uh, we, we love to have these words like accessible uh, thrown out by people telling us how well everything's working. It's not accessible by just joining some dots on a piece of paper. It's accessible in terms of what people in their actual situations can do. So here's a, one of my big gripes. Um, if you break your leg, um, it's fairly straightforward to get help. Um, and the ambulance may arrive to, to wheel you off and you'll be treated as gently as they can do. You'll get help and support as much as they can manage from that, that moment on. But if you break your head in the sense of having a breakdown, it can take months, years, and sometimes literally we're not talking about two or three years, we're talking about a decade or more, to really get the help that individual needs. And through all that period, that individual is living with the consequences and may be aware that things are wrong and bad. And they don't know how to deal with it, but they just want the help. So this is part of the prevention thing, is getting us as a nation to be willing to put our hands up and say, can I have some help? And then we as a nation making sure there is provision. Now, that provision may simply be, to start with, the ability to talk with somebody who cares and is trying to help us work from day to day through that problem. Because quite honestly, if several billionaires around the world suddenly threw their money at the health system with the best person in charge, whoever you happen to think that is, we couldn't train and create the infrastructure we need to deal with the mental health crisis we face. It takes time to train the right people. It takes time for them to gain the experience. They can work directly on their own rather than as a supervised uh, trainee. So we have to recognise these difficulties, but we can encourage a different process, a different mindset, and certainly an understanding that even if it's just simply people with very low levels of training, just sitting with somebody and helping them deal with things day to day will make a difference. It won't cure things, but it will certainly help. Um, and certainly trying to remove barriers to accessing this is really important uh, because we, we can have a system that people don't realize well what's the problem with that system it's fine it works for me but what works for me may not work for you and vice versa and so gaining those understandings of where the barriers are so let me give you a simple example um if you have very high anxiety levels and somebody says, just go to the job centre, and when you get to the job centre, there's a couple of beefy types who look like bouncers who are saying to you, um, well, uh, have you got an appointment? Well, you have to go away. You have to get an appointment sorted out. If you've got high anxiety, you may not want to go back again. 
that's a barrier. And it may sound silly, but for a lot of people, that is a simple truth. That was actually brought up yesterday, I meeting yesterday by somebody there. Yeah, it's not the first time that's come up with our team. Yeah. And it's different people as well. It's not just one person's example. Unfortunately, we're reaching the end, Andrew, so I'm going to bring you back to talk more about this. But you really rang bells with me. My trouble was when I was... I've been on the street three times. Actually, it could have been four times. But that time I reached out for help. How can we make it so that people know where to go? and it's accessible. Do you have some idea? I'd start one step back, if I may, and that is making uh, making it acceptable in our hearts to, and that sounds perhaps a slightly odd statement, but to actually ask for help. Because um, if those of us who are listening at the moment Anything like me, I'm fairly good at helping people, not all the time, but most of the time, and encouraging them, yeah, you need to reach out, you need to do the following things. But I'm my own worst enemy because I do not, when it comes to it, find that easy. And so trying to get that barrier out of us, and this comes back to formative years, I think, Ian, that it's okay to ask for help is really one of the big things. There are times we, we can help ourselves more. And it came up yesterday. Uh, if it wasn't for people actually reaching out to me who saw I was in need, I might quite literally not have made it. Mm. Because I just couldn't do some of these things. But when people were kind enough from local charities, the local church, to actually helped me especially in the early days um that meant the process could start working so i think that's one area we need to focus on uh i mean certainly growing up and uh, that was quite a long time ago my parents background and passed on to me was we don't talk about some things we keep that quiet and mental health was one of the big ones so to actually go and talk to somebody and go, oh, I've got a problem here. It's fine if you've got a broken leg. You can all, you know, you, you've got the cast on it, and people can start writing with their marker pens. But you don't talk about your mental health. And I think trying to get those hang-ups out of society, whether it's asking for help or just treating the person who said, "I've got a problem." As a human being, you see your neighbour with a broken leg, you rush out to help them. You hear that they've got mental health problems, and sadly, a lot of us run in the other direction. So I think societal change is a big start. Thank you very much, Andrew. I'm sorry I've got to cut you there, but you will be coming back. That sounds like a threat. (laughs) Yeah, it's a threat to everybody listening. Well, yes. Yes. (laughs) Thank you very much. Next week, actually, I have a, a gentleman, Anthony, ex-drug user who now works in the service. So chain in next, call in next Sunday. And on Friday, I'll be doing that was the news that was looking at a couple of news articles. 
So thank you very much, listeners. Um,